0: drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New Focus on Wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth,
1: Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. Guess I got to update that radio intro still. It says 25 years in the business. Actually, it'll be 29 years in August. So, What I do when I see markets like this is get my shopping list ready. Now, it's a little bit scarier, obviously, a little bit. Let's say it's a lot scarier if you're going into retirement, especially the first few years of retirement when you're just getting used to living off of your life savings versus "Eh, I've been retired for 15, 20 years. I've been through this before. We just have to acknowledge that the idea that this is the worst year for a traditional balanced 60-40 type portfolio, it, it continues. So when somebody says 60-40, it's usually stocks versus bonds. So if you own a plain vanilla 60-40 portfolio where it's like 60% large cap S&P 500, 40% bonds, it, it's a little rough. Now, before I go into this, I'm going to tell you straight out that stocks have averaged about 11.82% from 1928 through the end of 2021 and then now we're having a rough year big deal it happens it's scary but it happens um but i will say if if you have been listening and you know we've we've talked about this for a long time the fixed income world is much different than it was and fixed income is the same thing as bonds guys i always got to remind myself to to Watch out for the lingo. But if you had a traditional 60-40 large cap stock bond portfolio, like VBAIX, which is a mutual fund symbol for a Vanguard balance fund, it's down 18.51% for the year. Now, last year was up 18.4... or I'm sorry, last year was up 14.2%. But this year, it's down 1851 And... You know it that that is the roughest year for a balanced investor since the credit crisis in two thousand eight in two thousand eight that same fund was down twenty two point one percent Now the market in two thousand eight was down about thirty seven percent thirty eight percent but bonds, which were the forty percent of that portfolio, were up seven and a half percent that year so um you know that was a year when stocks went down, bonds went up. We are currently living through a year where stocks and bonds are down at the same time because of intri- increasing interest rates to fight inflation. Now we got a big meeting today. It's going to be interesting to see do the feds do 50 basis points. Uh, were they considering 75 basis points? But we had retail sales come out showing that there's some demand destruction, especially in things like cars. Um, now, some of the things that we have done as money managers Reducing fixed income, adding commodities. So and again, fix them. So reducing in a 60-40 portfolio, what should have happened is you reduce your exposure to bonds. Pretty much everybody knew interest rates were going to go up. It'd be how painful this is. It's something you can't ever tell. Added commodities. Commodities are up quite a bit this year. Any commodities-based index. And shorten duration in your overall bond allocation. Duration is a fund's sensitivity to interest rates? So theoretically, if a if a bond fund has a duration of seven, and the ten year treasury goes from two and a half to three and a half percent, which is uh, what it did in just a very short period of time, we're sitting at well three point three seven today on the ten year bond, um, sub two percent for the beginning of the year. That bond fund should fall about seven percent. Now, um another thing that's huge in the news right now is cryptocurrency cryptocurrency has not worked really at all and what its promise was which is a gold replacement absolutely not if you look at uh, bitcoin it's down over 50 percent for the year if you look for at grayscale bitcoin trust which is a ETF that buys futures based on crypto to get the exposure. So, so there's always a bit of mispricing down there. That's, that's down 58% for the year. So the idea was that, oh, cryptocurrency will price glo- gold as an inflation hedge. Nope. Well, cryptocurrency will go up in value as, as people want to get out of their country's currency to hide it and they don't want to have to buy dollars. Nope. That hasn't worked. Um, so, the question is, is does Bitcoin hold 20,000 here? If not, there's a lot of calls to go down to 10. And it's it's so silly because when I look at a stock, when I when I look at a specific company and you go through a recession, like even in 2008 and 2009, in 2009 in March, I talk about this all the time, I did a conference call for all of our clients at that time. And I said, look, It was March 9th. I said, look, here's here's the average revenue decline of these companies. And it was much less than the overall decline in the stocks. I'm like, don't go anywhere. This has gone way too far. This is the time to buy, if anything. And and three days later, happened to be the bottom of the market. Um, So with a stock, you have revenues that you can watch. You have costs that you can watch. You have the ability to look, can this company price, uh, pass on price increases to consumers based on inflation? And what's the overall profit and the PE ratio, the price to sales, the price to book? You can see that with, with cryptocurrency, it's, is there another guy or gal that is willing to buy this thing from you for more than you paid for it? And right now that's going the opposite direction. Um, it, it, I will say it's still here to say, guys, Bitcoin, Ethereum, especially it, it, it's here to stay it's just a matter of where it lands from here as speculation gets sh- shaken out of the market you've got celsius a company that kind of specializes in lending and dealing with bitcoin and letting people earn money on it while they sleep is what you could say i mean just think about every single big crash in bitcoin and and cryptocurrency in general and this whole nft thing the, the, there's 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 uses for it all, but the way that it gets pumped up illegally on social media before these big declines, it's a big issue. If we look back into the 80s and 90s, there was these things called boiler rooms where people, I mean, just look at the Wolf Wolf of Wall Street essentially. Pump and dump, baby, pump and dump. And so far it's been a way for kind of, you know, wealthier people. <laughs> And influencers on social media to steal money <laughs> as a Ponzi scheme. Because it's just like they pump it up, pump it up, they get on, they 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 uh talk about how awesome everything is in the world of cryptocurrency and NFTs and flash their Lambos and all this other garbage, and pile as much as as many people as they can into it, get the price increase and then sell. I can't do that already. I can't even, if I talk about a stock, I can't even buy it for like three days. So it's, there's just not enough rules around it right now. And I think we're going to see some pretty hardcore um, government interaction as a result of some of the potential collapses of companies like Celsius. So they've halted uh, withdrawals and things like that. All right. So moving on, let's let's talk about this. Crypto has not worked as a non-correlated asset, as a gold replacement, as an inflation hedge. None of it. Now, technology-wise and use, it's it's likely here to stay. So, um, it's kind of one of those assets that you gotta be if you're gonna hold it for a long, long time, you gotta be comfortable buying from here all the way down to ten grand. So, all right, Bloomberg commodity index up thirty and a half percent. You'd think that. TIPS or Treasury Inflation-Protected Securities would be you know, doing really, really well because, oh, inflation is up. So inflation-adjusted bonds would be up. That's down 9.4% as well. We got to pay attention to value versus growth. So next segment, we'll talk about the S P 500, what its return is, the equal-weighted index, but even more value-oriented index. And where are our PE ratios? Where can they go? All right, let's talk a little bit more about what's going on in the markets and especially as we've been talking about over the last couple of years, is most investors were just getting into this large cap growth asset class only phase where it's like most of the portfolios that were coming in were S&P 500 based slash technology based. Um, and like, okay, well, you got to start adding some different asset classes because the S&P 500 is a lot different than it was even in 2007 in terms of makeup. There's a lot more tech and communication services in it. Um, and it became closer and closer to the NASDAQ, which tends to be a more growthier slash higher PE, price to earnings ratio index. The higher the PE is, the more subject to a decline when the market goes into a recession. And look, the market over the you know last many, many years has averaged over 11%. But I'm going to talk about how stuff like this is completely normal. This is... You know, I've been doing this for almost 29 years now. I've lived through a lot of them, including the tech crisis, which was the first three-year-in-a-row stock market decline we had since after the Great Depression. And then the credit crisis, which was truly nearly a financial collapse. And things are a lot different now in the world of mortgages and collateralized debt obligations and things like that. So the S&P 500 is down 21.4% for the open today on June 15th. We still have an average forward P.E. ratio, though, of 20.14. If we look at how low the P.E. ratios get at the bottom of a post-recessionary fear or a, a, a recessionary low, you're typically seeing around 12 at the worst, like 08, to 14 to 16, which would be kind of the norm. All right. Now. S and P 500, like I said, the makeup is a bit different. So it'd it almost be better to look at RSP because the S and P 500, you're really investing in about 50 companies. That's what's controlling the price move in the S and P 500. It's a huge amount of money in Apple, Microsoft, you know, the bigger tech names now that got expensive. Why did they get expensive? Because companies like Microsoft and Apple are growing their revenue, revenue a lot as people move to the cloud and other you know issues like that. If you look at the RSP S&P 500 equal weighted index, that means S&P 500 is the largest 500 companies in America. In RSP, you would have $1 invested in all 500 companies. It's a true even spread among 500 companies. Now, that index has been holding up better because a little bit smaller and a little bit more value involved in it as you go down the line of 500 of the largest companies. It's only down 17 versus 21. Forward PE ratio is only 15.77 versus 20.14 on the S&P 500. We'll talk a little bit more about PE ratios a little bit later. But if if we break up, it's really easy to actually break up the S&P 500 in terms of looking at the return of value versus growth. You can look at the Vanguard Value ETF, VTV. That's only down 10% for the year. The Vanguard Growth ETF, VUG, is down 30, almost 32%. And the same thing holds true with small cap. Small cap value, VBR ETF is down 14.5% for the year, but small cap growth, VBK, is down 31% for the year. So that's why going forward, let this kind of be a lesson again, because investors really have financial Alzheimer's where they forget about 2008 to 9 and how they're they felt. They forget about the COVID crisis, which is a very large pullback, but the quickest recovery we've ever had. Now, uh, And then you look at, okay, XLK, which is a ATF that holds all tech stocks. It's down 20%. Forward PE ratio is still 25. Price to earnings. Price of the stock divided by the earnings per share. PE ratio. That's what you got to pay attention to. Now, let's keep things in perspective here. Here's the recent history of the market the, the stock market is positive 7 out of 10 years so 30% of the time it's negative and that's just those numbers have just continued to hold true decade after decade after decade so 30% of the time the market's negative and the last time i checked the math the average negative return was 13% so double digit declines fairly very normal stocks fine you know so if we look at some of the the historical declines that we should all remember, we probably don't, but I, I do. Um the the first two was just before I got into the business. So the Black Monday stock market decline where from the top in August twenty fifth, nineteen eighty seven, to the bottom, which was only four months later, the stock market, the SP five hundred dropped thirty-three and a half percent. But then the next twelve months it was up twenty one point four percent. Remember the Gulf War? That decline of almost 20% lasted from uh, July of 1990 to October of 1990. So uh, kind of a slope, you know, a couple of three months slowly down. Market was down 19.9%. 12 months later it was up 29%. The Asia monetary crisis, July of 1998 through the end of August 1998, that decline period was, the market was down 19%. 12 months later, it was up almost 38%. The tech bubble. Everybody remembers this one in the Bay Area, right? Well, not much anymore, I don't think. The tech bubble, the uh, stock market m- topped out in March of 2000. It was the first three-year decline that we had. It lasted from March 27th, 2000 to October 9th of 20, uh, 2002, down 49%. Now again, we had this technology bubble. It was insane. And you know, companies just Going to the moon without having any revenue and then evaporating overnight, but twelve months later, after the market bottomed there, the stock market was up thirty-seven or thirty-three point seven percent. Then the financial crisis, October of two thousand seven to March of 2009, two thousand uh, nine, two a year and a half bleed down, right? Where from top to bottom, the market was down fifty-six point eight percent. Twelve months later, it was up sixty-eight point six percent. Then we had the trade war in October of 2018 to the end, basically Christmas of 2018. That was a 19.6% decline, up 37% 12 months later. And you got the COVID sell-off, which was February 20th, 2020, to March 23rd, only a you know, month and three days long, down 33.8%. 12 months later, up 77.8%. So you've got to realize that what we're going through right now is a very, very normal part of the stock market. It's not different this time. It's not, you know, you, you could go further from here, but there's so many pieces of evidence that say when you get these pain points, when you get things that are really, really scary, you just continue to buy and continue to rebalance your portfolio. If you have cash a large amount that you want to put in the market, i just pick a six-month dollar cost averaging period and stick to it. If the market declines, uh, you can always accelerate it, but never slow it down. Just get invested because a couple of things I'm going to go over is going to show you that that staying invested in stocks, you've got to pay attention to your overall allocation and asset class placement. But staying invested, you become very, very wealthy over time. Yeah? You get years like this when it's a little bit scary but it's all part of it's it's there's nothing out of the norm here say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2500 per month with no nightly rates taxes or fees you might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait i get to choose from 100,000 trips pass the will it be the beach city mountains or all three pass or you could just call it what we call it the inspirado pass endless travel for $2500 per month with no nightly rates taxes or fees learn more at inspiratopass.com. those that, that was kiddo number 3 i think when she was probably 6 or 7 she's Ending her junior year this week. be <laughs> a senior, so time goes by quick. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So far, got oldest graduating from Texas Tech with a personal financial planning degree, going back into the world of physics because he likes the idea of uh, options trading and the math is very similar there. He produces stuff on YouTube that I don't even understand called quasi finance. It's just the math is intense. Um, and Eli's at University of Hawaii which has a great personal financial planning degree program and I think that's where Ava's going to go too so if, if you're out there especially there needs to be more women as certified financial planners and I tell you what if you tell your kids about personal finance degrees it's much different than like corporate finance or anything else like example Texas Tech it's in the human services um, department it's more like almost taught out of the same areas where psychology is you got to learn to talk to people and deal with emotions and things like that. Um, a lot of people switch to that major and the job demand is extraordinary. Like we can't get enough CFPs right now. And by the way, if you're a really good CFP, you've been in the business for 10 plus years and you're looking for a move, shoot me an email just chat at chadburton.com. Offices all over the Bay Area and other places in the country as well. Um, okay. So let, let's talk about this because... I don't see, you know, a tech bubble besides crypto and people trading meme stocks. um, You know, I don't see a tech bubble. Um, And I do believe crypto is here to stay. I just think, I don't know if it's going to go all the way down to 20 or break that and go all the way to 10 on Bitcoin. Who knows? Um, But the stock market is just, I mean, this is so normal what we're going through. And you're supposed to go through a recession every five to seven years. It shakes out the excess. If anybody's been dealing with hiring or anything like that and people jumping jobs left and right, th- this has gotta end a little bit. I mean, it's just ridiculous out there. But let's talk about some of the major declines because I'm I'm looking at a chart that shows some of the major declines in the stock market. Again, the stock market has averaged over eleven percent. But these sort of declines of twenty percent plus are very normal. I'm looking at a chart that there was a 28.8% decline in 1946. In 1948, a 20.6% decline in 1956, a 21% decline in 1961, a 28% decline in 1966, a 22% decline in 68, 36% decline 1973, a 48% decline 1980, a 27% decline. 1987, a 33% decline. In the year 2000, down 36.8%. 2002 is down 33.8%. In the 07 correction, like I mentioned, that was down 51.9. In 2009, the market was down 27.6%. And then 2020 was that decline of 33.9% that went away over a couple of months. Now check this out. I already told you about the average return. If we we look at all of those corrections of 20% plus since 1946, and we add up all of the returns of, of 12 months later, of all this, the average return one year later was 17.5%. The average total return three years later was up 38%. And the average return six years later was up 79%. So you have to look at these buy- these declines as, as if you're you know investing or you have a large amount of cash as buying opportunities. You start buying at the 20% decline, you keep buying all the way down. Can it go down further? Yes, because we can see PE ratios during a deep recession go in the you know usually it's the fourteen to fifteen uh, price earnings ratio. Sometimes like two thousand eight was down twelve, but that was a credit crisis. It's not what we're having now. What we're having now, you can let's if we want to get political for a minute. <laughs> look, we the PPP loans guys caused a ton of inflation. This was created by Trump the the ppp loans right so in one hand you have trump creating the ppp loans which was meant to here's a $2000 check which meant nothing to like a single mom of three or four P- kids you know um but here's these ppp loans because every business thought that they were going to go bust that they were going to have a year where they're going to face a 30 to 50% revenue decline because everything shut down we didn't know how bad this was going to get so people took these ppp loans and then didn't end up needing them. Most businesses I know, if you weren't in travel, in hotels, restaurants, you know, salons and things like that, most businesses had their best year ever in 2020 and even better in 2021. And they're still doing really, really, really good now. But they got all this free money and they either bought capital goods to grow their businesses, bought other businesses to grow their business, or took the money home and bought boats, RVs, brand new cars and everything else. We shifted from a service economy back to a goods economy, and there's a lot of that money still flowing through the system, the velocity of money. That's already starting to fade. We saw that today in uh, some retail sales, car pre- car shopping way down, for example. There's already demand destruction. I still believe we're three to six months away from peak inflation. It is all pending, though, upon uh, what's going on in Ukraine. So politically, you had... Trump create the PPP loans. Then Biden came into office. They did nothing about, well, maybe who we should pay those back or at least make it so it's taxable income because they didn't need it. And the whole Russia-Ukraine thing, disaster in terms of political handling of it. And then the, the energy policy. I mean, essentially all that's going on is Biden writing letters right now to energy companies and refiners saying, You need to produce more gas and you need to pump, you need to do everything you can to maximize this. And a lot of oil companies that were turned on and able to pump in 2020 and before that, they they shut down because Putin knew what he was doing during the the COVID crisis. He crashed oil. He he had this plan in Telegraph to crash oil prices and do this to Ukraine. And it shut down a lot of the refineries, it shut down a lot of the oil companies that were pumping out of the ground, frackers and stuff like that. Shut them down because oil prices dropped so much and then turned around and did this. And now between policy and those same companies wondering if oil prices will stay long enough to to restart, it just isn't happening. So I I think we've basically are running up against the two worst presidents that <laughs> that we've ever seen. Back to back. Didn't vote for either one of them. People think I'm, you know, you know, po- politically, I'm just fiscally conservative. And then socially, I don't, you know, it's it's totally up to you what you want to do. But fiscally irresponsible, big time on both halves. So now the Federal Reserve is behind the curve because the government created the problem with the PPP loans and policy. And, and we just got to get through this. And we will. We'll all forget about this. But if we look at those large, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 huge, you know, 20% plus declines since 1946, the average return six years later was 79%. So this is, this is normal. I know it's painful, especially if you're going into retirement or you just retired to watch these declines, but it is normal. And you will recover from this as long as you don't panic out and sell. And let's talk about this for a minute because you just cannot time the market. You cannot do it. Here's over just the last 10 years, the things that we've dealt with. In 2013 was a big jump in interest rates. That was a US taper tantrum. In 2014, we had Ebola. In 2015, we had the US dollar spiking and oil pricing cr- prices crashed. In 2016, we had Brexit. In 2017, we had all those hurricanes. In 2018, the S&P 500 lost almost 20% in the fourth quarter with the trade war. In 2019, the U.S.-China trade tension escalated. In 2020, we had COVID. 2021, we now have inflation. And then in 2022, Russia invasion of Ukraine. Now, if we look back at the S&P 500 from 1995, January 1st of 1995 to March 31st of this year, with all of those issues that we've dealt with, if you're fully invested in the S&P 500, your, your compounded average rate of return, I don't think it's your total return, that would include dividends, is is 8.8%. If you would have missed just the 10 best trading days since 1995, 10 days where you went to cash and you know, then all of a sudden, typically the biggest trading days up come during the big corrections your return drops from 8.8 to 5.7. If you miss the 20 best trading days since 1995, your return goes from 8.8 to 3.7%. And if you miss the 50, only 50 of the best days since 1995 in the market, your return goes down to negative 1%. Don't try to time the stock market. I don't care right now if you're trying to time the bond market a little bit and you're waiting to go in with extra cash because until the federal reserve is done raising rates and, I think the 10-year treasury is going to probably hit four to four and a half, potentially. I I get that, right? Because it's not like bonds are yielding a ton for you. Stocks, you, you stay invested in good companies. You pay attention to your asset allocation, large cap, small cap, mid cap. You also pay attention to value versus growth inside your portfolio. If you own a bunch of large cap stocks, stocks in the S&P 500, how much of them are considered value stocks and how much are considered growth stocks? You got to own a little bit of each. And what happened is nobody wanted value. Everybody wanted the fancy tech stock stuff again. And yeah, they're growing revenue very quickly, but they started to get pricey. Started to get pricey. Now, how can you tell something like this is over, right? How, like, a lot of questions that we get are, how, how bad can this get? If we go into a full recession, you know, have we already reached the decline? Now, some asset classes, we've seen it. I mean, when, when I went over those numbers earlier in the show, if you look at small cap growth, large cap growth, you're already seeing declines a majority of the way down during a, a pretty tough time in terms of a pullback. But then you got to also look at how far down PE ratios can go. And so it could get a little worse from here. But I can talk about what you look at in terms of what's the bottoming process. And what are some signs that it's over? And you might want to go from underweight to overweight stocks. All right, let's 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 talk about the market and the bottoming process. Um, talked about PE ratios in the past, price to earnings right now on the S&P 500. So, you know, above the, the average. Um, we're at about 16.4. In 2020, we got down to 14. In 2019, during that trade war, we got down to 14.3 on the S&P 500. And then most of the other corrections besides 2008, you're looking at a PE ratio of about 15. So, the you know can it get a little bit worse? Yeah, but it's th- not a reason to sell because of the points that I've made in the past, which is stock av- stocks have averaged 11.82 percent since 1928 through the end of 1921, positive Positive 70 percent of the time, negative negative 30 percent of the time, and the recoveries after the declines are are pretty quick and rapid to the upside. And if you miss out on any of the best days, your returns are drastically hurt so stocks you pay attention to quality or diversified etfs where you have large small mid international emerging markets you still have an outperformance of international this year which is odd um, we'll see how it goes though with some of the quiddity bond issues in in europe right now one of the things that i look for when okay this is starting to be over and we're kind of going to go into the next bull phase is is small cap outperformance so i can look at something like VB, which is an ETF, which is kind of an overall uh, small cap ETF, and over the last month, the S and P 500 is down seven, but that ETF small cap is down only about six. So you're starting to see signs about performance. It's got to be to the to the upside, though, where you can go from okay, I've slightly underweight equities or stocks, and now I'm going to go overweight because things got cheap. Conditions found near a a, a stock market low. Put to call ratios in the 99th percentile. I'm not. To, I don't have time to go into what that is, but it's essentially um, puts. For example, you can buy a put to protect some of the downside in the stocks that you own. When you buy calls, you have the right to buy a stock at a lower price if it runs up. Okay, that's not happening yet, which is a little, honestly, a little puzzling. Uh, one thing that is happening is um, the VIX curve has inverted, but barely. Yet the VIX, which is a volatility measure of volatility index, typically the market bottoms out. The VIX has to be above 40. And the last I looked right now, we're at 34. So we had some of this capitulation in the last two weeks. But remember, two weeks prior to that, we also had a 6% increase in the S P 500. So the percent of S&P 500 stocks above the 50-day moving average greater than 20%. Right now, it's only at or less than 20% rather. So percentage of the S&P 500 trading above the 50-day average being less than 20%. And that's that's in place. That's at 4%. Percent of the S&P 500 stocks at a three-month low greater than 50%. And we're right there as of yesterday. Um, more bears than bulls in terms of investor survey We're definitely there. Policy uncertainty in the 99th percentile. There's not a signal there yet. We're going to see today because we're now expecting you know, 50 and then potentially a 75% rate increase by the Fed. Um, surge of flows into cash proxies, you know, cash investments, mutual funds, things like that. Um, that has happened, but that's more of an interest rate fear of, of people getting out of bonds and going into cash. So you can watch a lot of those signals and see if it turns and, and this get, could get to a point where, look, it could take off from here. If we get it ended and, you know, something happens in Russia and that settles oil and, and food costs, um, or we just start seeing some signs of inflation going away and the supply chain coming back online with less COVID issues in China. So it could take off from here. It could go down another 10, 20% from here. You just don't know. You don't try to time the stock market. This is what I'm trying to say. If you're younger. You continue to buy and you try to find ways to buy even more. Like fund your Roth IRAs early and finally open that taxable account and buy some uh, dividend paying stocks or ETFs for example and now should you have done nothing no I mean some of the things that we've done you know, we reduced equities to neutral in May we reduced consumer discretionary exposure in our in terms of a sector in our portfolios we had reduced duration across our bond funds that's this interest rate sensitivity, and now we are actively doing. Tax loss harvesting and taxable accounts, turning this pain into a tax opportunity. Because if you sell a stock or an ETF and buy something different but similar, you can stay invested, but lock in that loss that you can use to offset future gains. Especially important for people that have highly concentrated stock positions where they work. Um, And speaking of which, there's other great strategies that you can do with that too, like writing covered calls and all sorts of things to help reduce a concentrated stock position now <clears throat> you know we had reduced international exposure uh, like i mentioned before i mean not to zero but um look fundamentally i definitely at some point there's going to be a great entry point into emerging markets and international developed but right now euros europe's kind of in crisis mode you got COVID affecting and then a high dollar affecting emerging markets I mean, fundamentally, P ratios are down at deep recessionary levels and dividends are 3 plus percent on European and international developed stocks. But you got food and energy issues in, in Ukraine and in COVID. So, um, you know, I don't think there's any rush to make sure you have that 15 to 20% exposure international. I don't think there's a rush to sell it, but there's not a rush to like, oh, I'm missing out. Fundamentally, it looks super cheap. If you have a large amount of cash... I would take a 6 month because we believe currently that inflation will likely peak in the next 3 to 6 months that that's a good time to average in over that period of time bonds you can take a little bit longer but pick that point begin to average in and you can accelerate if the market does drop to one of those larger pullbacks but don't don't not do it don't stop it just because you get scared usually when things feel the worst that's the best time to start buying or rebalancing your portfolio Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about show. If you need some financial planning help, investment management, retirement planning, do you have enough to retire after this pullback? Uh, what's it look like from here going forward? What's your distribution plan, plan? Which accounts are you going to draw from first in retirement? What's the tax plan? We do estate planning, taxes. We do it all. Fee only, fiduciary based services. Check it out. Just go to chadburton.com and you can find out about EP Wealth. We have 13 chartered financial analysts watching portfolios. We have over 80 certified financial planners helping clients, specialists in every area. So check it out. Just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Have a great day. Please tell a friend about the show LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes for the podcast. It's all at chadburton.com.